Red Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome everyone, the Bastards are back for this early week edition of the podcast. We are downloaded in over 30 countries across the globe and available on every major media platform. For everyone listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show if you have not already. Nothing you do will help us more immensely. As always, a quick disclaimer for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When the Red Sox are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, hit the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, Let's get rolling. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set against the Philadelphia Phillies, winning the set two games to one. Red Sox are currently in a tie with the Tampa Bay Rays atop the American League East. The New York Yankees are only half a game behind. Things are getting tight. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Lewiston, Maine. You can harass me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can also find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Co-hosting with me tonight from the city of Westwood, Massachusetts is Jason Kelly. Jason, how are you? I'm good. Uh, I'm so much better after watching a three-game series at a real ballpark. <laughs> and not in Dunedin, Florida, in a minor league park, which was some of the most miserable baseball I've ever watched in my life. Um, I never thought I'd feel sorry for the Toronto Blue Jays, but wow, that what a miserable place to play baseball. It's, that's awful. Yeah, we actually kicked off the show talking about that on Thursday, and they're in Buffalo now, so we won't be playing uh, at that minor league park in Dunedin. And I, God. I also pointed out what happens if if the Blue Jays make it to the World Series. That's an extreme hypothetical, but does Buffalo get World Series games? <laughs> so, so. <laughs> they might. I mean, if Canada can't get their, their crap together, then yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Uh, also joining us tonight from the city of Providence, Rhode Island, is Charlie Smith. Charlie, how are you? I'm doing great, man. No complaints. Happy that we were able to take two out of three in the series. No complaints. Outstanding. Uh, I forgot Jason's. We'll get to him in a second. What's your Twitter handle, Charlie? Where does all your hate tweets get directed to? There's been quite a bit. Uh, it's Smith underscore MLB, and I relish it, man. Uh, and there's there's a little something to that uh, that I, I'm more than happy to go into as well. <laughs> Jason, uh, also your Twitter handle. Yeah, mine is at uh, color of the iris. That's color spelled O U R. Um, and if you have trouble with that, just search Jason Kelly on Twitter. I'll probably be one of the first guys that pops up there. You'll see me with the long hair. Can't miss it. Looks, it literally, it's it looks like Jesus. I was just about to say, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, uh, yeah. And if you spoke the gospel every episode, Jason, it would be even more fitting. But that's Andrew's job on the other show. Um, so <laughs> let's uh, let's get into studs and duds for this Phillies series. Kind of a fun series. Jason, your stud for the series. Yeah, my stud is Darwin's and Hernandez. Um, I was I was talking to Terry before. You know, we started recording that like offensively, even though they scored 11 runs in the first game and, you know, they they scored pretty well. It was tough to find really a standout in the lineup. So I went to the bullpen. I thought, okay, the bullpen was pretty good this series. And it was. And Darmans and Hernandez was one of the guys that stood out. He pitched twice this series. He faced six batters and struck out five of them. Um, His only blemish was a walk. He did not give up any runs. He didn't give up any hits. Uh, he was clean, and this is a guy that we've all been excited about because he's a lefty who throws hard. He's a young guy, um, 
you know, a lot of people want to anoint him as sort of the closer of the future, maybe at some point. Um, in April, I think that he started off real hot and then he slumped a little bit towards the end. But so far in May, he's been much better. Um, you know, in, in, in the month of May, he's got a 2.84 ERA. So he's he's pitched six and a third, struck out 10. The walks are still a problem, though. He has walked seven guys in those six and a third innings. So, again, th- this is a guy with a lot of good stuff, but he just doesn't know how to locate it yet. He doesn't know how to completely control it yet. Once he does, he's going to be a really good reliever. And if he gives you more performances like this where you can just come in and shut guys down and not be an issue, that's great. And whether or not he's a future closer, I don't know. Might be a little too soon to anoint him as that, but um, especially with Matt Barnes pitching as well as he is, you don't really need to worry about that right now. But Darwinson is good this weekend, and if he keeps going this way, he'll correct everything he did you know, towards the end of April, and he'll be a valuable part of your bullpen going forward. Yeah, I agree. I um, I mean, truth be told, I was super high on Darwinson Hernandez. I wanted him to be the closer. It wasn't going to be the case because um, we had uh, Matt Barnes, we, which we all agreed was going to be his to lose, and he's not going to go anywhere. He's, uh, you know, planted himself firmly in the one slot. N- no one's even close in the two slot. Um, there have been two dominant series that Darwinson Hernandez has had so far this year. Uh, the first one was towards the end of April, just a couple weeks ago and that was against texas where he had eight strikeouts in three innings um i think he walked zero but he allowed a hit i think that was that was the thing the metric there in this one five outs five strikeouts and a walk that's if that's the only blemish you have damn you did well um super impressive can't take that away from him i hope to see another couple series like that it was great to see him get fired up after getting out of the inning. And he came in in a tough situation. This was game two, so he was the hero of that game uh, as far as most of us are concerned. And the bases were loaded. He did hit a batter to walk in the run. Uh, so it, w- it was a 4-2 lead when he came in. He held the lead at 4-3. to And... I was saying privately in the group chat, geez, you know, I'd really like Salamora in that situation. I just trust the splitter a little bit more with Darwin's in up and down, not quite sure what you're going to get. And I was kind of hoping to see Sawman in that role, but nonetheless, it was Darwin's in. And I'm not going to drink the punch yet because I'm a big Darwin's in guy. I spent the whole winter singing his praises and I started to drink the punch a little bit in April. And then he had a regression walked uh, a number of guys. The walks went back up. He ended up surrendering a couple of uh, leads with inherited runners that he had gotten. And um, I, I was a little afraid this could happen the other night, but it didn't. And, it's good to see. And like I said, watching him get as fired up as he gets, I love it. And I'm just hoping that he'll find that rhythm and continually be a high leverage guy. I just, I'd love to see it. I'd love to buy a Darwin's in Hernandez Jersey. Like that could potentially be another mm-hmm. one that I would buy and be like thrilled with. No, nobody knows this really. I don't really say it on the podcast. My favorite Red Sox player of all time. Who do you think it is? Of all time? Of all time, yeah. Oh boy. This Tim century. Nearing. This century. No, I'm kidding. Uh, this century. This century, I'm going to say, I'm going to guess maybe Mike Lowell. <laughs> I love Mike Lowell, but no. I know, yeah. It's bull, I'm, I'm gonna, bullpen, I, bullpen. Okay, for some reason, I'm going to guess Alan Embry. And I might be wrong. <laughs> no. John, Jonathan Papelbon, <laughs> my favorite of all time. Oh, God. Oh, okay. That's would, much more obvious. And yeah. I, I knew he was – he had his stretches where he didn't he didn't look so good and looked like he could be a little bit of liability. But I just loved, especially in the 07, 08, 09 time frame, when he'd come in and he'd get on the mound and he'd just have this possessed look on his face. And I, yeah. I just I just loved him in those moments. And 
in the 2007 ALCS when he started ripping his clothes off doing that Irish jig during the celebration. I, I'm like, he's my favorite of all time. But yeah, so I, I love high leverage relievers. It's, it's the most dramatic time of the game, and I want Darwin's in to thrive in those moments. So, uh, Charlie, go ahead. You're, uh, you're stud for the series. This one is going to be because I'm pretty sure I mentioned him last time. I This is Raphael Devers, Raphael Devers, or just Devers himself. Um, it's kind of hard to pick against or have someone in mind ahead of, of this individual when you go and mash two homers, a pair of doubles. You have, what, five RBIs, you hit over 300 in a series. You're clearly doing your job, and it's kind of hard to not give you your, your due credit because uh, – this is what we want. This is what we need. J.D. Martinez has cooled off slightly. I'll say that. Um, you know, I, you have seen the batting average come down a little bit. Joe mentioned this on the last show where it was one thing that he didn't really like to see too too much, but it was over the course of X amount of at-bats. This is his batting average. And if we look a little further, his batting average drops a little further. So it's it's one thing to, to see that, but to see Rafael Devers basically say, hold my beer, I got this this is the new banger for the team. Like this is going to be someone that if he continues down this path can make a case for leading the league in both home runs and RBIs. It's not that far fetched. So he's doing great work and he easily supplanted himself as my, my stud for this series. Jason. Yeah. So this is, this is something that I'll get into a little bit later in the show, but if you're trying to pick, who on this Red Sox team you should give a contract extension to right now, Devers has to be at the top of that list. Um, there are other guys that I would rather say, you know what, uh, let them walk or don't worry about their contract situations as much. I know that Devers is scheduled for two more arbitration years, but I would lock him up now. I, I, I don't see why not. Um, I, I wish the batting average was a little bit higher. I wish the strikeouts would go down a little bit more. But the power is real. The power is so real. He's got a great swing. Defensively at third base, is he a gold glover? No. Um, We talked about this a lot, that maybe you move him to first at some point in the future or you do something else there. Maybe he's your future DH after JD leaves. But at the end of the day, at the the plate, he's a menace. Like, opposing pitchers don't want to go up against this guy. He's dangerous. So... Um, I love what he's doing right now. The power is is unbelievable. Um, and he's a guy that when he's really going to, he can hit the ball to all fields. I think right now, for you know, for whatever reason, he's just really yanking the ball out of the park. Um, we haven't really seen the Rafi Devers that can hit the ball down the line to left field or into the left center field gap, but he's capable of that. He's a good enough hitter that he can do that. Right now, he's just for some reason he's feeling it and he's just hitting the power. And that's fine. I mean, I, you don't hate that as a manager or as a fan. You, you don't mind him just hitting bombs left and right. So um, it's great to see. I hope that as the year goes on, that average ticks up just a little bit more. The strikeouts go down a little bit more, and maybe we see him hit to more fields or even draw a few walks here and there. Like, that'd be great, too. Um, but right now, he's he's a true power threat in your lineup, a true left-handed power threat, too, which that's rare to find in Major League Baseball right now. Left-handed power is at a minimum in Major League Baseball right now. So the fact that the Red Sox have one, it's great. And I, I just hope that he keeps to he continues to progress and keeps getting even better. A couple uh, key hits this series actually were oppo for, for Devers. His double uh, in the top of the first inning on Friday's game off Aaron Nola uh, that was with two outs, and uh, he drove in uh, JD uh, going the opposite way, and then um, I'm so disorganized with my notes. He had, I think, there was another home run that was hit to uh, left center, if I'm not mistaken. Um, oh yeah, and today in the ninth inning, yeah, left center, so. Uh, opposite field home run there as well. So he's he's using different fields and and always finding ways to um, to to hurt pitchers. And 
most of his most of his hits are driving in runs. There's been guys in front of him on base, and he's doing damage in in in, in the hits he is getting. Here, here's a question though: Bogarts is getting better with runners on and in scoring position. That was a huge problem earlier on, but have we reached a point to where maybe Dever should be? in the four hole now behind JD. Cause it, it doesn't disrupt lefty, righty, lefty. Like that's all staggered appropriately. And I just feel like Bogarts is just more of a scrappier hitter anyway, N- not necessarily the long ball, but he has hits of, of all types, you know, a lot of singles, um, left field, right field doesn't, doesn't seem to matter. And I'm just wondering if at this point, the lineup plays a little bit better that way. Here's the thing to to think about who gets on base more often, Bogarts or Devers. I don't have the numbers Bogarts. up. Bogarts has Bogarts okay. gets on base more. Yeah. Um, who does or has the probability of doing more damage with the bases loaded? Devers. Bogarts just does not do as well with the bases loaded, as evidence in person or on TV. He is the guy that likes to get on base and then get knocked in. That's his thing. Yes, he can hit home runs, but who would you rather have at the dish with men in scoring position? Rafael Devers. So it makes more sense to have him bat after after Bogarts, after whoever you want in the one hole. I mean, Mookie Betts was in the one hole. That was our one guy. And Betts could, could mash and get on base. Betts isn't here anymore. Bogarts is going to bat in the one or two hole. It doesn't make sense. I mean, I, I don't like him hitting fourth or even third for that matter. I like him hitting first or second. You know, your first guy doesn't get it done. Bogarts will get on base. You have J.D. Martinez batting third. Okay, try to see if you can move him around. Devers gets something and bangs him in. I mean, it, it's not it's not a, a bad not a bad look right now, especially considering, dude, Four out of 13, and all four hits went for extra bases. I'll take that every day that ends in Y, man. I just feel that Devers is going to strand fewer guys on base. Mm-hmm. That's kind of my logic there. And if Devers is clearing the bases, he's getting on base and will still have a shot to be driven in by Xander. Uh, especially if it's an extra base hit. If he's in scoring position, Xander could could drive him home. So that, that's part of my logic. I, I don't know that flip-flopping them is the difference between winning a division and not winning a division, but I just I feel like maybe we get a little bit better production that way. But Jason, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I, I sort of wonder if the lineup is headed in this direction anyway. Um, it seems like Cora isn't set on a leadoff guy. It was Kike Hernandez to start the year. Kike got hurt, obviously, so that slowed that down. But we've seen Danny Santana, as soon as he got activated, get put right in that leadoff spot. Um, I feel like it's trending towards Verdugo being your leadoff guy, Bogarts two, Martinez three, Devers four. And then it's Vasquez five, and then you fill out the rest, right? And Vasquez is your five hitter. doesn't sound great, but you know what? He's... He's good enough. He he racks up a, a couple of hits a you know a series. He can still hit for power. As a number five hitter, he's fine. The bottom of the order needs to get sorted out before anything else. Like one of these guys, Renfro, Cordero, Santana, whatever, Dahlbeck, like one of those guys needs to step up because I feel like Cora is almost begging for them to. He's almost saying, guys, if if one of you can just hit consistently either for power or for clutch, you're going in the number five hole. And we're going to reset the order this way. So I feel like that's what Cora wants. And I feel like that's what the Red Sox want. It just hasn't quite gotten to that point yet. But I feel like by August, September, you're going to see Verdugo in the leadoff spot and Bogarts hit two. And then it's Martinez, Devers, and then the rest of them. I just feel like it's it's headed that way. Very good. Um, some honorable mentions this series. Oh, wait, I didn't. Oh, I'm skipping myself. <laughs> I thought, wow, 19 minutes were through the studs. 
Uh, at least I tried to skip myself. My stud for the series, I'm going with Martin Perez. He had the... I mean, Nola isn't having a good year, but he had to go up against their one of their aces anyway in the opening series. And... Uh, pitched a very good game, six innings pitched, gave up five hits, three earned runs, walked only one, struck out seven. His ERA in the last five games is 2.22. So after having a, a rough couple of starts, he has gotten the ship righted and is pitching like a mid to upper level rotation guy. And his ERA after those two starts got up to 4.47. So even though he's 2.22 in the last five, his ERA is down to 3.55 on the season. So everything looking good on paper. He really it was the second or third inning. I forget which one. He gave up a leadoff double to, I think it was McCutcheon. And um, outside of that inning, pitched very well. And you got six innings out of him. And We've had concerns with the bullpen. It wasn't terrible this series, but you would still like to see your guys go six innings as opposed to five, and we were getting a lot of five-inning outings. So liked what I've seen from Perez, and he's my stud for the series. Jason, thoughts? Yeah, he was good in that game. Um, he wasn't like stellar, wasn't anything to write home about, but still seven Ks over six innings. And for the month of May, he's got a 2.38 ERA. So Perez has been doing his job. Like he, he really has, you know, we joke about it all the time. Oh, Perez day. Like, are they going to win today? Well, most of the time they do. He's only two and two on the year, but they, he really should have a better record than that. I feel like he's been let down by the bullpen or the offense either way. So he's been solid. And again, this is a guy that like he was sort of an afterthought when, when they brought him back. We all sort of said, oh, yeah, we, we expected him to bring him back, but not a big deal. You know, he's not a big name. We, we sort of expected that. But it kind of has been a big deal because especially when your rotation has been up and down all year. Garrett Richards sucked at the beginning of the year. He's better now. Nick Pavetta can be up and down at times. Eduardo Rod Rodriguez, who we'll get to, like, who knows what's going on with him. Ivaldi's been up and down. Like, Martin Perez is doing his job. He's he's sort of at the back end. He's just quietly, you know, giving you five, six innings of quality work every time. And I feel like this is one of his better games against what is admittedly a tough lineup. The Phillies are not any easy out. Um, they're going to contend this year. So he pitched really well. I was very impressed with his performance. And... Through the month of May, so far, he's been fantastic. And if he keeps this up through the rest of the summer, then you've at least got one solid starter in there who's, you know, every time he's on the mound, you feel confident that he's on there. And so far with the rest of this rotation, I, I don't know who else you feel truly confident when they take the ball. Maybe P Pavetta has earned that trust at this point, but he can always go backwards. Ivaldi, I thought, had earned that trust, but... He's had a couple of rough starts here and there. So right now, Martin Perez is your solid, you know, consistent guy. And that's always a comforting thing to have. So good on him. He pitched well, and he was a big part of the series. Charlie? Yeah, I mean, more to, more to Jason's point, uh, going into mid-May, Martin Perez had no wins. So he pitched seven times? I forget. 0-2 record. ERA over 5. Not going well. And slowly but surely we're trickling it down. Now we're mid-4s, low-4s, just over 4. And now he's quietly put together back-to-back -to -back quality starts. Why is this important? Because I bitch would about this. The fact that we had less than 20% of our starts go quality. The Yankees are making headlines because they're having 7 innings out of their starters and they're not allowing runs. We're just asking for six innings. And that's why they're starting to turn around and do really well. The Red Sox now are quietly, quietly getting some of their production from someone that everyone just thought was just going to be a filler. You know, no one thought that Martin Perez was going to be doing this right now. Back-to-back -back quality starts. This is great. 79 pitches in six innings. Martin Perez definitely could have done another inning. Absolutely. But you know what? I'm trusting Alex Cora. I'm, I'm hoping that 
he knows something. He must know something better than I because that's why he's the manager of the Red Sox and I'm not. Um, I'm very content with the fact that Perez has been able to put back-to-back six-inning starts together. Um, and that's it. I mean, he struck out seven. I'll take that. Are you kidding? Like, this is this is great to see. I hope that Martin Perez can build on this because I'm much happier seeing this Martin Perez than the April Martin Perez. So let's just keep this up. And he regularly gives six or seven strikeouts on a on a good outing, and he's not an overpowering guy. He's not blowing guys away at ninety eight, ninety nine, and he's still punching tickets. So uh, it is good to see. It's good to see. I love the stability there. Now we'll get into honorable mentions. Uh, Danny Santana had two hits on the series, two for ten. That might not look impressive, but both of those hits were home runs. So. I guess we'll take that. Played a pretty good first base as well. Um, Alex Verdugo was 3-for-3 in Game 1 and then left due to hamstring tightness. He did uh, take one at bat today, so I guess the good news there is um, shouldn't be going on the IL. Uh, Let's see. Kike, 3-for-10. Not too bad. Bogarts, 3-for-8. Much like Devers this series. Um... Drove in runs each game, so good to see there. Vasquez uh, cleared the bases uh, with a bases-clearing double. Bryce Harper couldn't come up with that uh, ball out in right field. Should have came up with it. I'd like to think Hunter Renfro would have caught that. Harper kind of looks like he's... uh, He does not look like he's in a great frame of mind if you see the camera on him a lot. A lot of deer in the headlights looks, doesn't look good at the plate, hasn't played well in the outfield. So Vazquez reaped the benefits there. And those three runs, the game was won anyway, but why not tack three more on? So like to see that from Vazquez. Um, and that is about it. Well, Franchi hit a home run today um, that I think landed in Nebraska somewhere. Um, so... Couldn't couldn't hurt. We were behind and not going to win anyway. But at least he at least he got his first homer of the year. Uh, Nathan Avoldi uh, from the starting rotation, five and one third, gave up five hits, two earned runs, two walks, four strikeouts. Also impressively, drew a walk, which later led to a run being scored. Devers uh, drove him in on that double. So. Um, Helping us win on both sides of the ball. He's no Shohei Otani, but for one game, it was fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the bullpen, I'm not going to get into all of them. Josh Taylor continues to be very solid. Adam Ottavino looked good. Barnes uh, walked the tightrope a little bit, but that is a tough lineup, and he did notch the save in game two. Uh, Sawamora today. Uh, clean inning, no strike. Uh, excuse me, two strikeouts looked pretty good. Matt Andres finally had a good outing. Two innings pitched, uh, struck out one, but didn't didn't get uh, destroyed. So, uh, not not too bad. Uh, getting over to the dud side now. We're definitely going to fill some time on this. Uh, Jason, who do you got? Yeah, I'm going with uh, Eduardo Rodriguez. And it's not just today that makes me worried about him. Today was not good either. He pitched four innings, um, gave up four runs. He struck out six, walked three. But again, it was the old Eduardo Rodriguez that we didn't want to see again. 103 pitches through four innings. They brought him out for the fifth. He couldn't get through it. He let two guys on. They had to take him out. Um Rodriguez in the month of May has an ERA of six. He's three. He's one and three with an ERA of six. Um, his last three starts have been atrocious. Four runs today, five runs against Toronto on the 18th, and four runs again against Oakland on the 12th. Um, and then early, you know, first start of May against Texas, he gave up four runs in that game too. Um, he hasn't pitched beyond the sixth inning. In the month of May, uh, the pitch count's been getting up there. The walks have been getting up there. He's just, he's kind of regressing to the Eduardo Rodriguez that we didn't want to see. The Erod of 
2017, 2016, where it's just, it's the pitch counts too high. You know, you're, you tune in in the fifth inning and he's over a hundred pitches. He's laboring. He's letting too many guys on base. Um, the strikeouts will always be there because his stuff is just good enough that he's going to strike guys out no matter what, but he's giving up more home runs. Now the ball is getting hit harder against him. I'm, I, I tweeted out today, like it's, it's time. It's time to legitimately be concerned about what's going on with Eduardo Rodriguez because, again, this is a guy who has always been injury-prone, but he battled COVID in the offseason. We heard about, you know, he couldn't walk for a couple weeks. Like, he developed myocarditis as a result of it. His 2021 season, quite frankly, was in jeopardy, and it was in question up until, you know, the back end of spring training when he finally came in and started pitching. Like, I wonder if he's just starting to slow down. I wonder if he's, you know, it's finally caught up with him and he's not feeling healthy. He's not feeling strong and we're not getting the best of Eduardo Rodriguez. And um, I honestly wonder if maybe an IL stint is in his future, not because he's actually hurt, not because he, you know, actually needs it, but just to give him a break, you know, let him, let him rest for 10 days and then let him just do a easy rehab start in Worcester you know, get his act back together, get his head right. Um, I just wonder if the guy's just fatigued because, again, after what he went through, we don't know. I mean, it, we hear it all the time. We hear differing stories about athletes who battle COVID. Like, some of them bounce back pretty well. Others are still dealing with it. Others still have big-time ramifications from it. And I wonder if, you know, and again, Eduardo Rodriguez has not exactly been a, uh, a picture of health through his career. He's, you know, this is a guy who steps off the mountain and tweaks a knee. So I wonder if he just needs a break and maybe that's the best thing for him, but whatever it is right now, he is not going well. And the Red Sox have to make a decision soon because they can't keep trotting him out there. If he's only going to give them four innings and he's going to labor through every start, it's not good enough. I absolutely agree. We've seen three straight starts of, I don't know. And it's, it's not a question of, uh, if he's healthy, because um, clearly it's it's not. It's been two years since we've seen, or a year, almost a year and a half since we've seen really healthy uh, Erod and really good Erod. Twenty twenty was a blown year because of his myocarditis, and we weren't sure if he was ever going to pitch again. So the fact that we've seen him at all this year is kind of nice. The problem is, it it hasn't been good the last three starts, and pardon me. Um, it's it's only gotten worse. His his ERA was in the three fives. Now it's over five. As Jason just said, he's got an ERA over six, and he's one and three this month. Last month, his he he went four and zero. He didn't lose. Like it was like okay, cool. Erod's up. We got the dub. That's how it's going to be because we don't know what's going to happen with Richards or anything like that. Now, if Richardson Bavetta being consistent and Erod kind of faltering, so. I, I do believe that he's starting to get fatigued. I think the concern is he's afraid to say it um, because he's afraid to jeopardize his long-term um, financial gain by saying anything. Uh, this is the time that the Red Sox should consider locking up for a couple of years. I think the Red Sox are going to wait a little while longer for the, the, the value to go down because uh, if he continues trending in this direction... It's going to be more losses. ERA going to go up. Is going to go up, and then also, uh, as Jason mentioned, a very possible and very likely chance of an IL stint, and they can call it whatever the heck they want. But anyone who re- wears a Red Sox jersey or fan is going to know there's something wrong. Four of his five starts this month have resulted in four earned runs or more. You cannot live on this. And I, I will say this until I'm blue in the face. Four runs in five innings of work. You can't live on that. Four runs in four innings of work? 103 pitches. Less than 60% of his pitches went for strikes. You you can't live on this. I mean, you know something's not right. He's walked nine guys in five starts in relation to two in the first month. And he was mowing, like mowing. 
no issues, was averaging less than a hit per, per nine. Now it's like one and a half hits per nine. Not counting the walks. That's why his ERA is so bad. So he's he's got to change the mechanics. He's got to do something. I mean, God forbid we have Erod as a long reliever until he figures it out. I don't want that to be the case. But, I mean, you can't keep trotting someone out every fifth game as your two or three guy giving you five guy stuff. You, you can't live on it. And if you're doing this now, oh, my God. June, July, when it's warmer out, when balls are going to be sailing, four runs a game is going to be six or seven. It's it's not going to be good. He gave up four runs in the first inning, the very first inning. And as you guys have pointed out, bad stretch coming into the game. So you want to see a good first inning when, when Erod takes the mound, and right away he didn't have it, and the game was in the toilet. So it's extremely discouraging to see. I've had people chirping at me on on Twitter, on Facebook, saying that's why you don't extend Erod. That's why it would have been dumb to give him an extension. And I don't agree with that still at this moment. I think I think he can get through this, but he might not. I mean, the questions are going to start popping up, but... I'm not in full panic mode yet as far as Rodriguez goes, but it was very discouraging to see him not have it again today. Here's one of the things that concerns me. This is the big scary to me as far as Rodriguez goes. He did have three walks today, which you don't want to see from him. He's had three walks one other time in the season. It was earlier in the month against the Baltimore Orioles. I think we still got the win that game, but he walked three nonetheless. Other than those two games with three walks, he's only walked one or less in all the other games, and he's still getting slapped. He's still getting absolutely slapped around. And this reminds me of Rick Porcello in 2019, who wasn't really having a problem with walks, but was getting slapped. And he's 32, 33 years old at this point, would still be relatively young, especially for a guy who's not a power guy because those careers tend to go a little bit longer. I just, I'm a little concerned. I think he'll figure it out, but I don't, I, I can't sit here and say with the utmost confidence that Rodriguez will figure it out. And we just talked about how Perez is really looking good. Nathan Avaldi's like every other start good, every other start not so good. So if he can just get consistent, he's good. All these guys in the rotation know that Chris Sale's coming back in the next six to eight weeks probably. And he's going to take someone's job. And if he were coming back this week, he's taking Rodriguez's job. So I, I'd i like to see him step it up. I'd like it to be a, a tougher decision than that. I'm not sure how well Erod plays in the bullpen, especially if he gives up four in the very first inning because <laughs> he's only yeah. going to be pitching one. So... Um, very. The, the very other thing that I I forgot to mention is that the velocity concerns me too. Um, like I think today he was topping out at ninety three, which isn't terrible, but he used to top out at ninety five. Like when he was really going, that fastball would go to at least ninety five, ninety four around there. So I feel like his velocity is down too. That's why I just think it's either a health issue or it's just. I don't know. It's just a fatigue issue. Like, I don't think it's mental. I think mentally he's fine. I I feel, I really do feel like it's a physical thing with him. So that's why I said, like, I think an IL stint might do him some good. Let him, let him shut down for a week or 10 days and just get that arm right, get it, get his body right. Cause the velocity was a big concern too. If he can get outs more on contact, if he can get some more fly ball outs or, you know, ground ball outs, whatever, maybe that helps extend him further in the games. But 
Charlie, you're dud for the series. I'm going to be super short and sweet about it because I don't want to waste any more time talking about this guy. Um, and yes, he has his moments of being above subpar. Uh, Hunter Renfro is my dud. Um, one for five in the opening game with a single, an RBI, and three strikeouts. Game three, 0 for three, a walk, a strikeout. Your total for this fantastic series against Philly. One for eight. One single, one RBI, one walk, four strikeouts. That sounds like someone who is new, not someone who's been here for several years. And uh, this is just another case for establishing establishing yourself as a role player and not a starter. And I'm okay if I only see him once every three days because I don't want to see someone strike out three times in a game on a regular basis. And yes, he's had these moments where balls have come close, but close only counts in horseshoes, hand grenades, and nuclear weapons. And that's just not good enough. So Renfro is my dud, unfortunately. Jason? Yeah, I mean, this goes to what I said earlier. Like, the bottom of the lineup needs to wake up. It, it's time to get going, okay? We're into late May now. Uh, June 1st is right around the corner. So how much longer do we have to wait for the bottom of the order to figure itself out? Hunter Renfro, Franchi Cordero, um, all these guys. Bobby Dahlbeck, like, it doesn't matter. So, you know, Danny Santana is up here now. I hope that he puts pressure on some of these guys. I hope that he kind of returns to that form that he had in Texas two years ago where he, he hit 20 home, 28 home runs that year, and he starts playing his ass off, and all of a sudden Cora has hard decisions to make because that's the best thing for this team. The best thing for this team is for a guy like Danny Santana to come in and put pressure on guys like Hunter Renfro, guys like Franchi Cordero, and the bottom of that order because one through five, I would say, this Red Sox lineup is dangerous and it's nasty and pitchers don't want to face it. Six through nine, they're not too worried. Six through nine, who are you facing? Dahlbeck, Cordero, and Renfro? Like, guys like that? They're not worried about that. Even Kike Hernandez at this point. Like, pitchers aren't worried about that. They know how to get around that. So if you're in a tight game late and all you have is the bottom of your order, you know, coming up, this Red Sox lineup is kind of screwed. They have no pop at the bottom of the lineup. They have nothing. They have no threat there. And Hunter Renfro is a guy who has power, and he's he's hit a couple of – I think he's got five home runs this year, so he's shown off that power a little bit, not consistently enough. He strikes out too much, as we all know that he would. So, I don't know. Him and the rest of those guys, they got to pick it up because you can't have just a black hole from – you know, orders from the six through nine in the order. That's not going to work if you want to contend. It's just not. It's, there's no mystery to Hunter Renfro. We know who he is. We know exactly who he is. And he might have a great series offensively or defensively. And then the homers will start raving. Oh, this guy's so great. This is why we brought him. But the reality is 80% of the time, He's one of the worst hitters on the team. And with Santana coming up, and I, I think we're going to get Arroyo back before long. Once Arroyo does come back, and it could be late this coming week, actually, is when we see Arroyo. Once he does come back, there is no reason for Hunter Renfro to be in that lineup if a righty is pitching. You go back to last year, Moreland strictly faced righties. They kept him off of lefties. He's a left-handed hitter. He looked terrible. And by utilizing Mitch Moreland the right way, he was a 340 hitter. And we got a decent return from the Padres for it. Now, I don't think Renfro is going to be that good platooning against lefties, but he'll certainly be better. And I don't want to see him in the lineup any any longer because we have Santana now. We're going to have Arroyo at second base, so that's going to put Kike in the outfield more, probably put Santana in the outfield. 
Uh, Verdugo, if he can just stay on the field, it's been an issue the last month. He he missed basically two games this series. Uh, but if he can stay on the field, he's an everyday player. So you can you can afford not to have Renfro in there against against righty starters. And the defense is good enough. It's regressed a little bit, I think, since that great series earlier in the month when he had a couple assists. But you can, if you have a two-run lead and you want to put him in the eighth inning as a defensive replacement, okay, fine. Do that too. Do that too. But don't start him against righties is where I'm at at this point with him. So my dud for the series is going to be Alex Cora. Now, let me preface this by saying I don't have a ton of issues with the in-game managing. Like, I thought the moves were fine in the game. I expressed earlier I probably would have preferred Sawman over Darwin's in. However, as I admitted, Darwin's in worked out just fine. So, no problems with the in-game management from Cora. And I typically don't have a ton of problems there with him. My big problem today was sitting Xander Bogarts, J.D. Martinez, and Alex Verdugo was sitting, and that could have been for health reasons, though he did get into the game to pinch hit, so I I don't know that it was definitely health. But when you're taking those guys out of the order against a guy whose ERA for the month is six on the mound, and you're not going to give him the most run support as possible— you waved the white flag before this game even started and gave this team no chance at all to win the game. On top of that, we're now no longer in sole possession of first place. We're tied with the Tampa Bay Rays right now, who I picked to win the division, and they scare the crap out of me. We got into that on deep dives over the weekend, last episode, which was a great episode if uh, and no one's listened to it yet. Finish this one first, though. Uh, but, yeah, lost my train of thought there. Oh, yeah, so division race is getting tight, tied with Tampa. Yankees playing very good baseball. I wonder if it's sustainable for them, but at face value right now, they're only a half a game behind. So if the Red Sox were to drop another full game on those two teams, guess what? We're the second wildcard team. We're the second wildcard team at that point. And that's assuming Cleveland doesn't win 97 games and the White Sox win 100. Because guess what? One of the wild cards is going to come from the Central. And the, the A's and Astros are looking like a couple of 90-plus win teams, maybe 95-plus win teams. So... Maybe maybe it's a, a marathon and not a sprint, but I don't know that it's a marathon and not a sprint. I think you need the best possible team on the field every day, especially, and this is what's always driven me nuts about Alex Cora, especially when tomorrow or today, as people are listening, Monday is an off day, is an off day. The whole team gets to rest. The, why are we babying these guys? Let's win baseball games. Let's put the best field, the best team on the field. One other thing, and, and this was a, another ultimate white flag moment. Not only did we need run support for Erod, but Zach Wheeler has not lost at City Field in his last 15 appearances there. He's not given up a loss. I'm sure Alex Cora knew that. I'm sure the super nerdy Red Sox analytics department was all over that with Alex Cora. And so I don't know what happened. Did did Dave Dombrowski text Alex Cora last night? Hey, can you do me a solid? Could you could you put a crappy lineup out there so so I don't get embarrassed by my former team, you know, and, and Hein Bloom doesn't get a, a, a big laugh as he's leaving Philly? I don't know. I'm being facetious. I did make a meme of that on uh, the Bastards of uh, Boston account. But um, disgusting lineup today by Cora, and uh, I'm pretty aggravated by it. So, Jason, thoughts? Yeah, um, I'm glad you picked Cora as you're done because I had a lot of questions about 
that as well, especially heading into today. Like, and it started really with the Martin Perez start. Like, I was watching that game, and his first at bat, he he tried right. He he was actually swinging, and there was that that curveball that hit him in the foot that he struck out on, and Eckersley and and the whole booth was losing their minds about it. And then the rest of his at bats, like it was clear that he didn't have batting gloves on. And it was clear that Cora told him don't swing. Which, like, I get it. Okay, like, fine. You're an American League team. Your pitchers aren't used to hitting in the National League. Like, I get it. But just to flat-out surrender in a bat like that, I don't know. Like, Zach Wheeler got a hit today. Like, you know, we've seen Chris Hale. They played that Chris Sale highlight how many times this weekend? How many times do we have to see the Chris Sale double this weekend? I swear we saw it, like, three or four times. Like, but Martin Perez is told not to swing. Eduardo Rodriguez is told not to swing. Like, I don't know. And then the lineup today, it's like, you're facing Zach Wheeler. You're facing the best pitcher on the staff. And you're resting. I swear to God, Xander Bogarts gets more off days in the months of April and May than any other ball player does through that stretch of time. I wish there was a stat to cover that because the amount of times that Xander Bogarts gets held out of the lineup because of Alex Cora, because, oh, well, it's about the 162 is not about today. Okay. Well, today still matters. Like you said, Terry, that the division is a tight race right now. Like you're really just going to punt on today's game because you're facing an all-time pitcher here. Like you're not just facing some bum. You're facing their best pitcher and you hold out your best two hitters. What are you doing? And then what bothered me even more was in the ninth inning, he's got a chance to pinch hit and he picks Alex Verdugo who was pulled out of the game because of a tight hamstring. So wait, you've got Bogarts and JD on the bench. And instead of going to either of them, you go to the guy with a bad hamstring and you pinch hit him. And then Verdugo actually, he reached on an error, but like he had to run the bases and he was on second base. And even the radio guys are going, why aren't you pinch pinch running him? What if, you know, not that the run's going to count because you're down by four, but what if a base hit gets hit into deep right field? going to ask Verdugo to push it and run his ass off to home plate? That's a bad idea. The guy's got a bad hamstring. You're putting him in there and risking it? And again, they had a day off tomorrow. They have a day off. Like, what? how many days off do these guys need? Especially J.D. Martinez, who's a DH most of the time. Does he really need that much rest time? He needs two days off because he had to play the outfield a couple of days? Oh, my God. I know he's in his mid-30s, but Jesus, like, the decision-making just baffles me. And it's it, it's kind of like what you said. It's like, it's almost like Core's looking at today's game, and he's going, ah, it doesn't matter. If we win, that's an extra bonus. It's almost like he was hoping that Eduardo Rodriguez would pitch, like, a, a no-hitter today. You go, oh, see, I knew we'd be fine. Eduardo was on the mound. But Rodriguez sucks, and now he has to go, well, you know, it's a long haul. I don't mind giving guys two days off. You know, we'll be okay come September. You guys are just panicking. It's like, okay, fine. But you're in one of the most competitive divisions in baseball. Don't punt games in late April or late May, rather. Sorry. Just because, you know, oh, these guys might could, you know, could use some rest. It's like, I don't know. That that stuff with Cora drives me nuts too. So hopefully it doesn't come back and bite him in the ass, but that really bothered me today, too. It's like you hold two guys, you hold three guys out of the lineup. Granted, Verdugo, I get. But then you pinch hit the guy with the bad hamstring. What are you doing? Like, just stop overthinking it. Just play your best lineup, especially when you have a day off the next day, and try to win the game. Because eventually it's going to catch up with them. Oh, Jesus. Uh, Terry, do you have some water over there to put out this fire? Jason just went off. I drank it. Uh, yeah. So oh, let, let it burn. <laughs> let it burn. I'm on the sec. I had to go get, I had to excuse myself to get another water bottle a moment ago. Um, Jason has some really good points. And here's the thing. Like I said this earlier, cause I'm, I'm trying to be a little bit more optimistic because I recognize that I've been pretty pessimistic over the last year. Plus I had a damn good reason to be pessimistic last year. I still think I have a fair, fair right to be a little pessimistic this year too, but not as much so. And I've been called out for it. And that's fair. But I will say this. As long as we can win each series, 
I'm going to feel confident about it. As I said before, and I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get razzed for it. Tampa Bay has won 10 games in a row. How many teams have won 10 games in a row this year? Two, right? Tampa Bay and then Oakland when they it felt like they won 36 in a row. And that was how they started the season after being one of the worst teams in the league uh, to being one of the best. And then at one point, I think the second best uh, period. So while I 100% agree with you, Terry, that we're in, in you know, it's, it's a little nerve wracking because Tampa Bay does intimidate me too. That's a fair first place team to have. Tampa Bay always does well on a, a uh, payroll of 18 cents. They just always do it. So why am I not too stressed about it? Because you have these moments. Pavetta does what he does. Hell, I'm going to say, Garrett Richards has been doing what he's been doing. I'm not going to sit here and punish Alex Cora for resting. Yes, I get that they have a day off. But you know what? Do we know everything else of what's going on? Did Was this like already pre-planned? I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and say, damn it, because I have enough reasons to be pessimistic about the team. I don't need this one right now to be the top one to be concerned about. We're in mid-latish May, latish May. We're still in first place. Do I think in one week that we'll be tied in first? No, I don't. Do I still think that this team has a ways to go? Yes, I do. Did I honestly think that the Red Sox were going to be first this year? No, none of us did. And anyone who thought so is out of their damn minds. We are playing out of this world right now. We're 10 games above 500. We are one of the better teams in the league right now. And we're doing it with some surprises. But I will not, I will not be down because Alex Cora decided to bench certain players. Not when I sit here and complain about other players that are in the lineup on a regular basis. So I'm, I'm not going to do it. I won't sit there and say anything. Well, hopefully it doesn't become a pattern. Um, it's been, you know, even in the World Series year, I was frustrated at times with the constant resting of players. Um, didn't hurt us that year, but we, we did kind of run away with the division. Kind of a time crunch. Uh, Phillips Valdez didn't look good, gave up runs in both of his appearances. We said we questioned why he wasn't being used in high leverage. Perhaps there was a reason for it. Maybe we saw the reason this weekend. So hopefully he gets it together. Bobby Dahlbeck, 0 for 7 in the two games he played, struck out in five of those seven at bats. Hopefully that's just a blip. He was gaining momentum, so we'll see what happens. The The Sox return home to Fenway, so um, maybe he'll find his stride there. Marwin Gonzalez, one for seven. Batting average down to 201. Hasn't been super hot at the plate, so hopefully he gets it together. Getting into the series real quick. It's a two-game set against Tampa. We have Garrett Richards in game one against Charlie Morton, who has been struggling uh, this year. So hopefully we're, we're catching them uh, at the right time as far as Morton goes. I have been gaining uh, confidence in Richards in recent uh, outings. And then finally game two, Nick Pavetta against Drew Smiley, who is also having a terrible season. So arguably our our two best pitchers versus two of their guys that are struggling. I think it's a, a two-game sweep for the Red Sox. I agree. Um, and, you know, I, I think, like you said, you're catching Morton and Smiley at a good time. Um, and the Red Sox have always kind of hit Morton pretty well. There's been a few times where he's he's done okay against us, but for the most part, I feel like the Red Sox against Morton, they've done pretty well, whether he's in Tampa or Houston or whatever. 
Um, I don't think the fact that he's in Atlanta now makes all that much difference. So um, you're at home, you get the DH, you don't have to worry about your pitcher hitting. So I think they're catching him at a good time. They're getting the Braves, I think, maybe two worst pitchers right now. So I agree. I, I actually predict a 2-0 sweep here. I think they'll do pretty well. well complaints from me. I'll take that. <laughs> I'll take my sweep. All right. Well, for that, uh, we're going to wrap with this episode. Tuesday morning, Hot Takes Tuesday will be available. That's a uh, We've got a nice lineup for that episode. More and more people are engaging. If you wish to participate with that, the email for it is bastardsofboston, all one word, bastardsofboston at gmail.com. We will see you in 24 hours with Hot Take Tuesday. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Take care.